Ken Pooch Van Druten here. Uh, I've got Chris Raybold with me again. Um, What's up, everybody? We, uh, we've really been enjoying all your comments um, on our videos, and we hope that you guys are enjoying it as much as we are enjoying doing them. Um, make sure that you tell your friends. Make sure you uh, get them to subscribe. Um, we'll, uh, we'll keep doing this. Um, We'll keep doing this anyway because we like doing it. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. but uh, <laughs> let's let's get some people to come check it out too because uh, I, I think it's helpful and I I think it's an interesting um, fun conversation between you and I about all kinds of things. Um, uh, yesterday we were talking about drums and so in <laughs> we just shot a video where we were just talking about we were going to talk about drum more drum stuff uh but we ended up going down some weird rabbit hole for 45 minutes and uh it, it's really interesting stuff but we didn't talk about drums so let's circle back never happened <laughs> let's circle back and talk a little bit more about drums just because the first two videos that we posted were specific to drums um uh, so maybe maybe let's talk uh, some about that. So um, let's see. We talked about mic choices and mic placement. Um, and so I don't know. Do you want to go further in depth about the drum mixing, like as a whole? Like what? I, I, what's your philosophy when it comes to to drums? I know for me, like for me. I look at drums like a whole instrument, right? Even though we are miking everything individually, the outcome of my drum bus, I want to sound like basically like I'm standing in front of the drum kit, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. standing in front of a kit, to me, a drum sound, you know, like the snare drums usually is louder than everything else, you know, acoustically. So those are kind of the things that I shoot for when I'm creating the overall sound of a drum kit, that's like my philosophy in a nutshell. So what, what's yours? My, I think I have a couple different mindsets and this, this has developed over time. My inherent want is to, I have grown to somewhat, uh, uh, lament the fact that what we don't have, well, we are mixing in a giant room, which ultimately kind of makes this, uh, gives us this uh, all-encompassing homogenous environment that we hear everything. Uh, a lot of times, because we don't have the option of room mics, like true room micing a kit. Yep. And sometimes, you know, we talked about using overheads yesterday to get a full drum sound. But a lot of times for me, that's a full drum sound that doesn't include the low, low end because it'll feed back. And I also do cut it up a little bit to take out some annoying stuff. So we never get that at least I rarely get that picture of the kit as a whole. So where I'm going with this is a lot of times what we end up with, if you're not careful, is this thing that sounds like a collection of inputs that make together a drum and it. That's not natural. You know what totally. I mean? Totally. So that's tough. So what I like to do, I mentioned yesterday being really influenced by Mutt Lang and from the, you know, all these Alindrum or this, you know, all those things. I like not saying I try to make that happen. I like a produced sound when it's appropriate for the production. Interesting. You know what I'm saying now? So I like a sound that sounds like I say this all the time that 
I'll be like, well, we're just going to mess with for a minute and sound like we did. It sound like we did something. Sound like we care, you know. So I'd like to do that. Produce drum sound. Uh, on a few occasions, I've done where I did Nora Jones for a minute and some of the Tony Bennett, uh, Lady Gaga stuff. Whereas this jazz stuff, and I learned this from watching uh, Tom with Tony Bennett, Tom Young. Where, I mean, you want to stay the hell out of the way. Where, in other words, I don't want it to sound like there's any production. And on those shows, I would try to see how little of an impact can I make. And I would make a point to like try to only get away. First of all, I would only refer to it as the bass drum. Wouldn't even call it a kick drum. Right. And it was just barely on. And then I would use overheads. Uh, and that's it. And I tried to see if I could get away with that. So I have, and we'll elaborate on all this, but as far as how I think, I like to get away. I like a produce sound because it's more fun for you and I to do. We get our rocks off that way. Totally. But it's going to it's gonna be appropriate. And because, just like yourself, I do a lot of different genres, I have learned over time what is and what isn't appropriate for what, you know what I'm saying? I've totally know what you're saying. to use what, where. So that's a brief overview of how I look at it. I totally get it. So I guess I'm trying to um, understand where, where, what is the indicator that decides for you whether it is a, mm -hmm. a, a produced drum sound or whether it is a, uh, you know, a more natural kind of drum sound. Is it the records that kind of dictate yeah. that to you? Okay. It's the records in the genre. Like, like, let's be honest, if I'm doing... Of course, you know, I reference all of our current clients often because it's what's topical. If I'm doing Bruno Mars, I know what Bruno Mars's audience is used to listening to. If I'm doing Kenny Chesney, which those two couldn't be more diametrically opposed, but uh, and it, but in a way, they're not. That's a different genre, but with equal amounts of polish. For but sure. I know in working with the artist, when if someone's saying like, you know, hey, I really want that trap snare. Or if somebody's saying, you know, conversely, they're like, man, I just want that ACDC thing. Like there's people from all different musical walks of life are explaining to me what they want. I need to be able to have that. And if I don't have it in mind, I need to study it. So there's not much I do that's calling for super raw, organic. You know what I mean? Totally. Like it's, it's pretty produced. And uh, yeah, so the music will, will, will lead you that way. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, what about you? I don't, I don't know what the best way to go about this is either. You want to start from like the, we could start, we could just start talking instruments. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, go down the line or you think philosophically that's the approach. I mean, what's well, yours? What do you think? You, that, I mean, you for may, me, you may, for me, it's all about may, the, the record uh, dictating it. I mean, I, um, I, uh, what I enjoy about live sound is the, uh, trying, uh, the attempt at trying to get it to sound just like the record. Like that's mm -hmm. my goal. I spend hours studying the record of the artist that I'm about to work for. You know, I spend a lot of time listening to their music and understanding what their music sounds like before I even show up. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, to me, it's about replicating that. Um, and so, you know, any way that I can get there, um, uh, a lot of it is, um, watching other, having watched other engineers, you know, how they get there. Um, you know, are you the guy you're, are you first off, are you a parallel drum bus compressor guy? Yeah. Okay, sure. cool. It, it, yeah. Um, 
I th on one of the other videos that I went through, I talked about my kind of routing, which was uh, just real quick, um, go back over it. It's basically drum bus, then a squash bus, then a cymbal bus. So those three stereo buses then traveling into uh, a regular kind of drum bus that may also have some kind of mastering on it. Um, and prior mm -hmm. to that, there's also, I do the same thing that you do, we talked about yesterday, where if there's two microphones, um, like two microphones and a kick drum, they get bussed together to end up in a single handle. And that mm -hmm. single handle ends up in a, a, a regular drum bus and a parallel drum bus outside of mm -hmm. the cymbals, which is differently affected. So there's a bunch of different bussing to get to where the mm -hmm. final result of my drum bus um, mm -hmm. uh, and a bunch of different processing. So that's mine quickly. And I already went through a bunch of mine on another video. Maybe take us down that road. Like what's your whole, okay. uh, sure. what, where, what's your, what's your deal? Yeah. And I listened to yours and uh, I didn't, as much as you and I talk, I didn't know that you separated symbols out. And when I, and I, but I get it. And I thought about doing that um, or a version of that too. So I thought that was really cool when I heard you say that. Mine is very similar. In fact, I get to the point now to where I wonder how I did it without parallel buses. But then I, well, I'll go back and listen to something from a long time ago. And I'm like, man, that sounds great. And I wasn't doing, you know, it's like, totally. So mine, mine is, very, I don't do, well, a friend of mine calls it the pre-bake and he just means every stage of processing you do, but we both do the same thing where I have essentially a kick group, a snare group, a Tom's group, over group, hat and ride are the only things that kind of ride free. Um, and so those are like, there's this incremental stage of kind of, you know, putting the clamp on things, putting it in control. I will have, uh, there's a, there's a dry bus. There is always one other parallel bus. Sometimes there's a third and that third might only get, um, it's weird. Sometimes to me, the kick by virtue of using a parallel bus can get way too out front. So I'll take it out and put it in another one. So I'll move things around or here as of late, I've done like, I really like, I'm a sucker for VCA based comps and a real, there's two things I'm kind of a snob about and it's a saturation. Uh, and you really stuff that just raises the RMS. You'll hear me talk about that a lot. And also VCA based comps. And I really like that thing. They do that hard edge, that aggressive thing. So I'll blend a kind of more maybe a sort of distorted comp bus and then a true VCA smack you in the face Whoa, thing. Cool. And I'll do that. Now here's the thing I, and you mentioned in your video, maintaining uh, phase coherency, right? Keeping in mind latency. So when I started working on Digico's, I realized, and there are platforms that even if you have the correct sample, number of samples or milliseconds or however much latency you've incurred on one bus, you can dial that in on your drum bus. But as you know, I'm just going to guess you sometimes that doesn't work. Nope. Like it's, I don't know. It's just the math is never perfect enough to work. So it'll be swishy if you just try to digitally delay compensate to this now processed other bus that has incurred all this extra time. So when I, once I started using Digico's a lot more, I realized um, I've got to line this stuff up. So unless I was doing it all internally, I would. if I had some bit of outboard, I realized I needed to have the dry bus also 
go in and out of the desk, which sucks because you've got to incur conversion. Right. At first I did that where I was literally just sending an XLR in and out. Um, and I realized do it in the box. You can save yourself a lot of trouble, but bear with me. That's what I did. So then over time I started, I was like, mm, and this is pretty slutty. I'll admit it, but I would just be like, I'll just send that dry bus to some piece of gear that imparted some sound and all I'm doing is running through it. Wow. Um, that slowly morphed into, well, maybe I'll just do a little with that bus too. So before you know it, I've got, there's no dry anymore. <laughs> now before the zombie awesome. apocalypse hit and the yeah. goddamn world fell apart, yeah. I was in rehearsals and I was bound and determined to have a true dry drum bus again. And I'm talking, this is three weeks ago and I did it as we started the tour that's some pre-production stuff I had, I could have gotten by with just my dry drum mix. As you know, that there's a lot of times that parallel bus, man, you turn it off and it all goes. Away. Oh man. And you know, totally. And, uh, and I, I'm determined to not have that. I tried, I do that, try to do that all the time, but I'm really now I'm kind of coming back around to a true dry drum bus coupled with a couple, at least one layer of, parallel processing with it and that can either gently raise the rms kind of give it a touch more excitement to your drum mix or just make it sound flat out whoa what are you doing you know totally that's interesting you know what i've never um and we, it's weird that we haven't ever talked about this because i've never been the guy that has a third kind mm -hmm. of squash bus i've never really even thought about it that's an interesting yeah. really great great idea that's cool it, it, it's, it's just different, you know, it's just a different way to kind of get there. Or, uh, I don't know. What about you? Do you put every, what goes into your squad? Okay. Here's one. And maybe you cover this in your video. What goes into the squash bus to me? Did you cover uh, that in your I, I did. Yeah. So it's always kick snare toms. Um, it's, dry, it's shells. It's yeah. shells. Yeah. It's all shells. What about reverbs? Do you ever put reverbs over there? Okay. So let's go down this rabbit hole because this yeah. is, this is where people always ask me about like, you know, what do you use for effects on drums? Um, mm -hmm. I generally do not put any reverbs into my crush bus. Mm -hmm. Um, so where they end up is in the drum bus that is having almost just barely any compression at all. They're just kind of tickling a little bit, but it's really almost no compression, really just mm -hmm. the regular, um, you know, I call it good cop and bad cop, um, good cop mm -hmm. meaning, Hey, everybody come through bad cop, meaning stop, meaning the, mm -hmm. the, the crush bus. I remember seeing that on your session. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it's quite witty. I actually, well, you know what? It's funny. I got that from Greg Price. Greg Price nice. was the guy that, that kind of came up with that. And I've just kind of adopted it myself and, and keep using it. Um, but um, shout out to Greg Price. If you don't know who Greg Price is, he's an amazing uh, engineer. You guys should check out his stuff. Yeah. He mixes a lot of bands. Ozzy for years. Um, anyway, um, so I always put my reverb in that bus or... I send it, both of my reverb returns end up in the drum bus. So there's mm -hmm. the regular kind of, you know, uh, good cop, then there's bad cop, mm -hmm. then there's a cymbal bus that are all going to a regular drum bus. Well, then mm -hmm. I'm sourcing those reverbs from individual channels, and then the return of that is going to that drum bus as well. So now there's four different buses um, mm -hmm. 
or or more, maybe five different buses because it could be two different types of reverb. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the busing structure of where my reverbs end up. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about what's your philosophy with building electronic room space with drums. Like we live yeah. in this world of generally, except, you know, we, you and I do mix stadium bands. So we're outside. So there's a lot of times where there isn't reflections, but you and mm-hmm. I mix a lot of arena bands mm-hmm. where uh, we're already in a space that has tons of acoustic kind of information. What do, what do you do for your reverbs to make all that work? I have, first of all, I change my mind all the damn time, but, uh, I say that, yet I come back to, here's a recurring theme, yet I come back to the same thing all the time too. You know what I mean? Um, I do know this, Not more times than not, I've got a, I hate the sound, just the pit dry sound, unless it's, a bit, again, I talk about my big fat snare drums, which sound great with a lot of reverb, sound great with no reverb. But um, I hate the sound of a really, really dry snare drum. But I don't like, the sound of okay dude turn the verb off we get it you have one i hate that too and i love yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like okay we all hear it congratulations yeah. white snake so the, um the, um but the and but now that being said i love it when the song calls for that for whatever reason you know for don't get sure. it wrong i want to use it I want to use it too so i love i uh, i love a room sound i love the spread that a room sound you know that I love just that kind of gush swell that comes around it. So I will always have a short verb. There's a million plugins I can source it from. There's also Bracasti's good. That Studio A for me is really. It just oh, makes like, it louder. You really yeah. don't hear. So what's the other one? Studio B. All of them far, medium, close, all near. All of those are really good. Yeah. So I'll have this verb that is a part of the snare sound, even in a reverberant arena, it still matters. Totally. Um, so I'll, t- I'll typically have three snare verbs, two or, two or three. One of them is this like room thing, and it just gives it this thing. Then t- two and three are gonna be like effecty. They will be subject, that one that I just mentioned is often not subject to any snapshot changes. It's I might move it around this or that. The others often will be if I need a really obvious, you know, gated effect or, or this or that. So the, or the long tail that I was just making fun of that I'll still use, those will be two and three. And with regards to busing, sometimes because it is a part of the snare sound, it's not so much an effect. Sometimes that short room thing will go to the squashed bus because it's not so much an effect. It's a, part of the it's, it's part of the snare drum sound, right? So you want it exactly. to be, yeah, got it. Now, all that being said, would you hear a short, very purposeful gated cack? Will you hear that in arena? You will. Will you hear the big, long, beautiful tail in the arena? Mm, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you know. So in those environments, sometimes those are. May, uh, I don't know, you know, so, but I'll keep them in my mix. I'll keep them because I know that the, the next night they might fully matter. Totally. You know, it matters. And that's, yeah. Do you change your reverbs for when one night where you're in an arena and the next night you're in a, in no. a interesting, no. um, 
No, that's that's the mix. Now, that being said, if I'm in a place and I'm just dying and I'm struggling and if I think I'm going to get clarity by losing one of those verbs, it's gone. But more times than not, that's the mix. That's the mix. That's the mix. You know, my I'm that philosophy, too. But I will change like if it's a if it's a tour that goes six months in arenas and then the last, you know, or six weeks in arenas and the last four weeks after that six weeks is into stadiums, I will tailor reverb stuff for the specific of where I'm going, but not if I'm going from night to night to different places. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, um, I do. And, and yes, now that you phrase it that way, those same effects will often rise in level as we move outside. Yes. To your so, point. Same, same tones, but you want it. They're more emphasized by that. Now you, what's you, you have to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's no reflective surfaces and I take into account some of that, you know, and it's it, mm -hmm. like, uh, if you listen to, this is a whole other thing. We'll talk about vocals some other time, but if you listen to some of my board mixes, you will notice that the effects on my vocals are probably, they're not record effects. Like they're less, they're way more subtle. And the reason is, Same. is because we're in a space already. So there's already mm -hmm. kind of reverb happening on that vocal. It's the same thing with For drums. Sure. Um, I take into account, you know, where we are. Um, mm -hmm. I use a lot of pre-delay. What's your philosophy with pre-delay? Like I literally, I, every, every reverb that I have and use, and certainly with drums, is at least 40 milliseconds of prelay, probably a lot more most of the time, 60 or 80 sometimes. What's your what's your philosophy with that? I it's funny, I know that you do that, and I've often referenced you with regards to that. And I I get it, man. I think I'll go high for sure. Like a lot of times, well, let me say this. I think it's I I I love the higher ones, particularly in live sound or the longer pre-delays, because it gives us that little bit of fighting chance to let the clarity make it through. Totally. You know, so I'll do, I'll sometimes, and yeah, you know how it is 20 milliseconds, nah, let's go higher, 30 milliseconds on one reverb, on all the different rack mounted reverbs versus the plugins versus the desk. It doesn't all sound the same. Right. And it also depends on what they're calling pre-delay. Are they calling it the early, like calling just only the early reflections? Are they calling the onset of the reverb as a whole? It can mean a number of things. I'll usually do one of two things. Start at zero and spin until, this is if unless I know where I want to go. And there's a lot of places where I do know for sure, okay, I want 25 milliseconds or I want this. I'll spin until I hear something or until I think I hear something. And I can't tell you how many times that ends up being 12 milliseconds. Wow. Which, of course, is, is an infant. That's a tiny little amount of time. So it's probably really how long it takes my brain to go, you've been spinning too long <laughs> to stop. <laughs> then, but then I'll do the thing where I'll, I'll, I'll turn it until I hear an obvious repeat. And then I'll dial back from there. Well, know? that's what I and do, I too. Now, I do that, too. I had a feeling. Yeah. And you know how it is. If you know the verb, you know exactly what you want. And if you do know the effect you're shooting for, and you're like, you know, you went. Ka -oom, ka -oom. Totally. You do know? you do you so have a type? I, I'm all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am, too. And it, and it kind of just dictates mm -hmm. the song dictates like what what the reverb mm -hmm. is. But I'm just speaking in generalities. Um, sure. 
Do you have a type of reverb that you like uh, that you is like your go-to? Like for me, halls are almost always the ones that, like if I'm struggling, I'll say, no, nope, I'll go to a hall and I can figure it out. And and adjust how that hall is, the the tail of it and the 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 early reflections and the, the pre-delay of it, I'll adjust all those things to make it to what I wanted to, to make it. But the overall tone of, reverb like halls are always my favorite do you have a favorite real quick sidebar uh so pooch and i had a gig i i, I started this gig pooch took over then pooch had to leave because life called for like two seconds i had to go back in and yeah. i remember it was outside in a flat open field as good as it can get and i was sitting there with your mix on a mix i also knew yes. and it's funny i remember when we started checking drums i was like what is going on there? That's badass. And I had already looked at everything. So I knew I didn't just like turn it on and go, What's going no, on? no, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that's a whole other topic there. We should talk about that sometime. Kind of the handoff that we did that time, how it went totally from around the box to in the box yet somehow was the exact same story. It was the exact same story, but there was one thing you had did, and it was a, it was this hall reverb that I was like, God, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was out of H verb or something. I can't remember where it's from, but yeah. So I know you like that sound, and I like it too. I like room sounds, and that that can be any number of rooms. From uh, I, I, let's just say I like rooms. I like okay. room for that cool. quick thing. I also like brighter plates. I love the sound of a of a tail of any plate. I love the sound of a good tail coupled with a good source on any reverb. But um, I like taking a bright plate and gating it myself. Uh, and the important thing there when gating it yourself is to key it. You don't just gate the verb and the verb is the source. You gate it. The sidechain input is the snare input and that'll keep it from chattering, you know, as it dies, as oh, the wow, tail cool. dies on the That's gate. Cool. And so I'll, uh, yeah, so I'll take, I'll do that and I'll either just choose a time that I like. I often have that gated sound very, very low. So it too is kind of similar to what that room thing that I do. It's just a presence about it. Um, but if it's a little louder in the mix, I'll time it to the song's BPM and I'll usually like a quarter note or something or honestly, whatever feels right. So I'll find it between the hold and the release. I'll come up with a time that's works with the song. So that's usually verb two. So one is the room whatever thing it's usually a room that might even be a plate whatever it let me is. let me just stop here for one second because i did i do want to point out to people that even with reverbs when we're talking about reflections or talking about um tales of stuff we're still thinking about doing things in time that was a really interesting mm -hmm. point that you said that like i often uh not all the time but i will often make a pre-delay um be in time with whatever it's you know whatever the track is so for mm -hmm. instance if the quarter note is you know <clears throat> 200 milliseconds or whatever you know you do the math on it you say half of that is 100 half of that is 50 so then now mm -hmm. my pre-delay is 50 milliseconds to, and that's tempo dependent it could have you know whatever the tempo is if the if the quarter note delay is 211 you know what i mean it's half of that and half of that um and yep. By putting things in time, either reflections or pre-delays or um, tails, like what you're talking about with gating in time, um, it makes all the difference in the world when it comes to reverbs. I just want to point that mm -hmm. out as you were talking. Yeah, for sure. And then when we talk about that long reverb, which I'll, I'll tell you in a second is my using my verb, snare verb three, uh, that too, that will be linked, that will be based 
tempo dependent usually on the length of that. Um, so now that being so, that's typically what I'll do with the the second verb. It's either a a, a plate that's either is or is not gated. The third reverb I'll have will either is usually the one. It's going to be very, very, very effecty. It's going to be that long ballad type snare verb, or yeah. it's going to be like an inverse, like non-lin type thing. Um, that'll usually be on three. So two and three are usually moved with the snapshot to create a very specific effect. One is more of just an enhancer. Real quick before I shut up, I will say that the second one that I like a brighter plate is oftentimes also an ambience patch. Um, Got it. Like an RMS, uh, like a, like an older um, AMS RMX 16 or a, a Clark Technic 780 or yeah, a, yeah, some yeah. grainy kind of cool ass thing like that. So that's kind of how I do my verbs. Uh, one does go a lot of times to the crush or can go to the crush bus. Two and three never go there. They always stay in just the drives. <clears throat> So I want to kind of just go back and just make sure that I understand. So you you have three reverbs that are kind of snare related, right? Yeah. And then mm-hmm. a fourth reverb that is the overall kind of picture of the drum uh, well, kit or... No, close, close. That first one that I mentioned, I don't... Sometimes I'll have a gener- a room thing that like every shell goes to. Like I know you're a big proponent of. I am. Um yeah, you, you're a big one. Like you'll send your kick to that too. I will do that from time to time. Not as set, not as often as you will. More times than not, I'm not sending. The, usually for me, it is three snare specific verbs. Interesting. Um, so that's just one through three, and so rarely do I have something that's where the all the shells are going to it. Um, but I do it from time to time. That's interesting. And you, so you do that all the time. I know you've got your kick snare thing. I um, almost everything. So my philosophy is a little bit different. Like any um, reverb that the snare is doing. So I, I basically like my basic thing is always just two reverbs, <clears throat> but mm-hmm. there's a snare focused reverb that it's really the reverb is designed to be the snare drum has a little bit more pre-delay and it's usually kind of a shorter room you know mm-hmm. um that goes to my kick drum so it's really a kick and snare reverb um mm-hmm. with it, it's it's in separate sense so it the reverb if you listen to the return of the reverb there would be a lot more snare drum than there would be kick drum in it but mm-hmm. but there is a fair amount of kick drum in it, and I'm what I'm doing yeah. is kind of creating a space for just those two things, kick and snare, and then mm-hmm. my overall shell reverb usually doesn't have the kick drum in it. It's usually ah, just okay. snare and toms. I got it. I got it. Um, <clears throat> but it, it just depends. And then sometimes I I also use sometimes the third reverb um, to kind of create you know uh, effecty things um and then you know a lot of times there's you need a even a fourth reverb for um you know that one song that's got that you know weird snare hit in it that thing or whatever you know um Mm -hmm. so i just you know i i was bringing this up kind of to point out to people that in, in both of our drum sounds and i bet most 
uh, um, you know, higher end engineer guys don't just use one reverb on their whole kit. Uh, it's right. several, it's a combination of several things um, to kind of create space. Um, so, yeah, man. And I've got a Tom, I've got a Tom's verb. I don't know. Do you do a separate verb for the Tom's? I don't. Mine is the overall along with, with got the it. snare drum. Yeah. yeah. Mine's not very audible. I, as years have gone on, it's kind of, is there something there? I've tried yeah. to the room thing for a number of years, and now it's there's like a long ass hall that's so low. I might as well turn it off, you know. <laughs> so yeah, my honest. I tend to be shorter unless it's required for the song, like it's a big ballad with a long ass snare drum tail. Mm -hmm. um, I generally my reverbs in general are you know the room uh, or what I call the room creator the one that's the snare drum and the toms will sometimes mm. be as much as you know uh two seconds but uh, pretty much everything uh, you know definitely the kick and snare drum stuff is you know um 0.8 to uh, a, a a um a second at the most you know what yeah. i mean length times tail wise um right but that changes with the amount of pre-delay that you put on, right? Like the more pre-delay, the more it makes, it accentuates the the length of the tail. So then sometimes when I have longer pre-delays, like 80 milliseconds, 100 millisecond pre-delays, then I shorten mm -hmm. the length of the tail. Um, so then mm -hmm. sometimes it's really short, you know, like 0.6 or or whatever. Um, right. I'm a big fan of those point, point 0.6 verbs or point, point 0.6 to a second for the... Yeah. I remember a long time ago, you know, the, the equation is, I guess it's like a, a foot roughly equals 0.91 milliseconds or whatever it is. And I remember thinking back in the days, like, okay, what kind of drum room would I want it to be in? What's well, probably 12 feet to that wall. So it's 12 feet back. That's 24. What does that come up? You know, I'd come up with all these sort of, you <laughs> wow. know, I would mean, use my ear, but I'd also think about, that's just when you get so much theory in your head. You're, Again, that's just about You're thinking a on about. a whole higher plane than I am, dude. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just too like, much I'm adjusting I'm knobs and going, does it sound good? All right, do sounds that. good later. You know what I mean? Do that. That's what I that's do. Way more organic. Don't don't do it. I do. <laughs> That's awesome though that you think like that. That's cool. I thought like that originally. <laughs> I, now I just kind of know where I want to go. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Um, let's so see. let's see. We've talked about reverbs. We talked about kind of bussing. Um, maybe just speak to a little bit at the end of this. Let's speak to a little bit about um, individual. Um, uh, you know what you're doing on individual channels like you know for me you know like people always ask you know simple questions they always say like you know well what's the how do you know what's your eq look like on a on a kick drum you know um mm -hmm. what does it look like on a tom and of course there's no answer but the generic answer to that for me in general in in drums is that 400 is the drum destroyer frequency mm -hmm. like 400 mm -hmm. is that boxy frequency that i end up anyway like sucking out of every single drum kick drum for sure mm -hmm. like there's like if i could take the you know if i could uh, file out the 400 fader on my my graphic eq and make it go further i would yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. just because you know that that boxy kind of tone 400 500 is always to me makes mm -hmm. you know drums sound not very good um but individually like what is your kind of 
uh, are you compressing kick drums, compressing mm-hmm. snare drums, compressing toms? Like, how does that mm-hmm. work? Are you compressing the buses? Are you compressing them individually? Speak to that a mm-hmm. little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, and just like a, the, the proper answer for most things is, well, it depends. But we, as you mentioned with that 400, you know, you get to learn with experience too. You find that like, no, I tend to always go to these spots. And a lot of that stuff you're talking about, particularly as it pertains to EQ, a lot of times those are areas that, again, this kind of comes back to my thing of we don't often have like a kind of homogenous one source room sound to kind of build around. We're close miking everything. Right. And the other day we talked about, about miking techniques. And inherently when you're getting into like close miking, you, you're hearing way more of these boxy tones that you probably wouldn't be cutting that 400 where right. there was some more space very true. between the very source true. and the mic, yeah, you know? So, um, yeah, what I do, I'll, I'll go through it kind of quickly here. Kicks, I usually, my chain as of late, this changes a lot. Sometimes there's not shit on it, but, you know, I will always live with the SPLs that we mix at. Uh, which is not 120, but mind you, it's loud. It's in a big environment with a thousand subwoofers. God forbid that thing took off, right? You know, particularly when you're boosting low end. Um, I will almost all. I will always gate my kicks. Um, but most of the time, what I do, there's a tra- the the chain is that it goes from the gate. The only place I use transient designers is sometimes on kicks. I don't really. I've been through my phases with them and. For me, sometimes I just don't think I'm very good with them, but I do like them on kicks. I'll put those at the beginning of a chain of the kick drum. Now, that'll often be followed by a compressor, and it would be easy to hear that and go, well, why are you, for instance, with that transient designer, whether it's the actual SPL one or some other of the million different versions that other manufacturers make, why are you, like, I'll boost the attack a few dB, maybe cut some sustain, probably just use the attack to say, well, if you're doing that, aren't you then negating the whole point by then compressing that? I don't feel that way. And I've experimented with moving them around. My thought is I am shaping the source to look differently from the jump. And then even if I then alter the dynamics of it, it's still a different version of what it originally was now compacted. If that makes any sense at all. No, it does. it does, it does, it does. And there's an argument to do it the other way. In other words, no, compact it, then shape that. That's just through trial and error. I had, and I think it was probably by mistake, you know, I put things in the wrong order, but I do, I like to kind of change the way it looks, then I'll pull it back. And it's almost always with uh, a VCA type comp, whether that is a DBX 160, um, you know, I just, there's something about that thing, man, where it like crosses that transient that it, that, excuse me, it crosses the threshold, that transient, it creates this like presence to it, just barely moving on the needle. Sometimes I'll even follow that up with like a bus type comp again for that extra. And I'm purposely, I'm really, I'm actually transient designing even more because I'm setting it such that I want the transient passing through. So I'll do that. That'll be the chain. So transient designer and some sort of comp, uh, then into some sort of EQ. I'll do those on the individual kick channels because whereas with the snares, I often blend the mics to get a sound. Sometimes with the kicks, I'm only using one. And I don't know why. It's just what I do. Um, and then those get sent to a bus here lately. I've actually been 
I don't know if you remember, you came and hung out with me in Dallas one time when I came through with Bruno and I'm like, check this out. I'm like, I'm putting this limiter after everything. And I swear, I think it sounds better. And you just put your head in there for two seconds. You're like, yeah, it does. And I was like, oh, cool. I thought so. So <laughs> a lot of times I'll put this limiter at the end of my kick channel. Yeah. And the reason I'm doing that specifically or of my kick bus, and if two sources are some, I need to let this be set. And the EQ comes after all that stuff I mentioned on the individuals. If those kick one and kick two get summed, I bet you I'm EQing more because they will create a different sound. You know, anyway, I'll put a limiter at the end of that. And that is again to raise the RMS of that. I want that to be a brick of power, you know, and oftentimes if our, we could talk about this more now or later, but, um, mixing organic live drums that are coupled with samples. I don't mean samples to enhance, but just maybe there's a clap or this and that. Yep. Suddenly you're competing against this thing that has no dynamic range. That's right. That even five to 10 dB lower in peak level than your sound still sounds louder. So that's just has been my attempt over the years to create these really process sounding blocks of sound. Uh, what do you, what do you do? Cause I, can, we, I keep going. What do you do on your kicks? What does it look like? Or is there a set in stone? There isn't. Um, I, you know, I, I go back and forth with new stuff that shows up. You know, if a new plugin comes into play, um, I'll start using it. Um, mm -hmm. I generally, my kicks and my snares, um, I go like the the tone of them is centered around um, uh, G uh, SSL G series channel strip. Um, mm -hmm. I like that EQ. Um, I you I know too. I came from that you know I when I was um, a studio guy I worked on a bunch of E series uh, and then right after right towards the end of my kind of studio career right before I started doing live stuff we got a G series console at the studio that I was working at and um I just fell in love with that sound um mm -hmm. I like I like the the mix bus um compressor that's in that uh G series and I like the channel strip of a G series so in general nowadays that's kind of my kick and snare tone mm -hmm. and each on each one of those microphones um, will be a G-Series channel strip that's EQ differently, compressed differently, gated. Um, I mm -hmm. use the strip as if it were an SSL console. So I'm using all three points of it, the gate, the comp, and the and the EQ. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of my go-to. If I have a guy that is, um, I'm struggling to kind of keep into check, like he's really dynamic. He goes from playing really like, you know, ghost notes to slamming. Um, I'll use, uh, there's a plugin called Renaissance Axe. Um, that is, it's a compressor and an expander. So it really, it does the same thing that you're doing with Transient Designer. It, it's, you know, when he's really playing low, it's expanding. When he's really whacking it, it's kind of thing. So it keeps your snare drum and your kick drum like right you know, right there. Mm -hmm. Um, right. so that's, that's kind of my go-to, you know, um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, you know, it changes though, man. I mean, it really depends, um, on, on, um, the, the tone of it, but I, I think those, those, that's kind of my go-to place. Um, yeah. and this is, this is the thing about proclaiming 
you know, I do this. Like I say, I do this, not all the time. That, <laughs> that's that's right. like, and that's what you're saying too. And I yeah, guess yeah, I should yeah. say, you know, I usually, my EQ on kick drums, it usually ends up being an, an SSL. Uh, I, I like the E personally. Yeah. Um, it's I like, either I, I, or. I like they have yeah. different tonalities like to them for sure. And functionality, you know, whereas the E allows you to create the, you know, the difference, you know, that allows you to go to, even though it's a fixed parametric on that bottom, yeah. you can get more places on the G frequency wise though. Um, so I hear lately I've been more into, I've been using a lot more uh, Neve emulations and only boosting within those. Right. Uh, and then doing surgical cuts on the desk, you know, in, in general, one thing I didn't mention. So back in the TDM days, of course, now you can get there with AX as well. I was a big proponent of, well, when we use analog desk, we didn't need to do this because a lot of this was already, there was a lot more saturation going on, a lot more uh, circuitry in the yeah. way. But I would use Phoenix a lot to flatten it on the front end of my signals. Yeah. And it would, where I'm talking about flattening now, maybe with a limiter or something at the end of the chain, I'd flatten at the beginning with some sort of saturation. And yeah. I still do that with kicks. I don't have access to the Phoenix on anything I use now, but I'll use, there's an outward piece of gear called the Overstair MAS. And I use that religiously. I didn't mention that. I'll use that a lot of times at the very front, definitely on snare without question, but even on kicks and toms, I'll use that to, to flatten it a little bit. Um, before yeah. it even gets going. I used to use Phoenix a lot like with profile and venue. Um it was yeah. a really good plugin for for that particular desk for some reason it, it helped yeah. uh the front end part of it. Um yeah. cool. So that's kind of your kick and snare processing and your toms, I assume. Do you do individual kind of any sort of compression individually? Um gating well, obviously, but um right. But you you also have a Tom bus that has compression mm -hmm. on it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And real quick, my snare process is a little different. It actually has less on it. It's usually just the individual inputs gated, never comped individually for me. Then they get summed. They will always, 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 always hit some sort of saturation piece. Yep. And then usually that's it for me. If anything, they'll hit two forms of saturation flattening, but I rarely compress a snare. Um, that's a Where really great. It's a really great point. I think that um, people don't realize how much back in analog days, harmonic distortion was so important, and mm -hmm. anything that had that much dynamic range on it, like a snare drum, there mm -hmm. was definitely transients that were definitely having some sort of you know, crispiness to them, no matter what, you, if you gained them way the hell down on a VU meter that was barely just moving, the peak part of that still had a transient that was causing some sort of distortion. Well, nowadays yeah. we're in digital desks that don't really have any sort of distortion. They're very transparent, but our mm -hmm. ear wants to hear that for a snare drum. Absolutely. And so I do the same thing. I add, you know, some sort of transient distortion um, mm -hmm. to, to a snare drum, not so much on a kick drum very much, but to a snare drum I do. Um, and that yeah. makes a snare drum just come alive. Yeah. That's like when it hits like an 1176 or something, that's distortion. That that's right. Sound good. That's you right. know, um, and I'll tell, I'll sit here and say, well, I'm not using a compressor on a snare drum. I am absolutely compressing that snare drum by the virtue of the way I'm going there. It's not a traditional compressor that I'm using because I, I'm again, I'm a 
big dork about sitting there and going, if I used anything, whether it be a plugin or it's some sort of insert, I'm big on game matching, um, at least as I'm starting the mix, so that I'm not just kidding myself and every louder thing I do, I'm going, oh, that's better. Oh, that's better. And I'll sit no, there. That's right. 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 So I'll watch the RMS level creep up, and that's, that is compression. So I just don't use traditional compressors usually in that role. Uh, toms are... Uh, gated, EQ'd, they are EQ'd with lots of boost. Uh, it's in cut. Like it's, I go pretty aggressive. I go as, I do as little as I need to, but I'm not afraid to go aggressively on there. I usually find the resonance at the bottom, boost it, whatever it needs, maybe not at all, cut out the boxiness. And then usually on my individuals, I'm looking in that 5K range to create some presence. And they're just gated. And my gates are long. Like my gates are doomed. Yep. And at the risk of the symbols and other things coming in, but I know when I incorporate those overheads, that's all going to smear away. So, that's right. Um, and as you know, now a floor tom that you let ring really long might cause a lot of problem in the room. So that's where it gets different. Those might go down into that. If it's a, if it's a second of natural decay, I might fake it to more like three hundred just so yeah. I can survive in the room. But. I certainly on toms, I, I am the same way with you. I hate that thing that most people, not most, but a lot of engineers do where super quick release times. So it's like mm -hmm. literally like a thud. Like if you listen to their toms without the overheads, it would be like thud, 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 thud. Um, yeah. I want that boo, right? I want that. Yeah. But I'm super, I spend a bunch of time making sure my release and my hold are closing mm -hmm. right when the tone of that yes. drum goes away. Like, I don't yeah, want no any, extra no extra bullshit. Like, I make sure right. that that's, I spend a lot of time on virtual playback with my Tom release mm -hmm. and hold. Yeah. Drums as a whole is a game, aside, particularly live, as much as a game of like creative endeavors, it's a damage control type thing. Totally. You know, it's cleaning cleaning all those things up, keeping the noise out. So I'll, uh, so for me, I'll just, I'll do that to the toms individually. Then they go to a group. That group is often further. There's even more boxiness pulled out. Um, and then there will be some, so I'll just arbitrarily choose a point like a hundred Hertz, like low end. And I'll boost that a touch. And then that's when I'll go up into like the eight K nine K range and maybe add some air there. Something I'll also do on toms is employ some sort of dynamic. I don't know why it sounds different, but it just does. I'll employ some sort of uh, dynamic EQ or multiband EQ that'll cut that boxiness even more. So totally. I will have, by the time it's all said and done, there is the biggest smiley face of all smiley faces you've ever <laughs> seen on my toms. If, if it's appropriate. No, you know? that's right. So that's, that's right. That's yeah. how I do it. And then I'll just, so I can finish the thought for me, when I get to overheads, they're high pass liberally. I'm not, uh, sometimes I'll do the, like, how high can you, you know, 400 thing to where it is yeah. mainly just symbols. I try to get, keep it in the 160 ish to 200. So there's yeah. some snare in there and then I'll just do with those, whatever I need to. So, um, that's yeah, kind I of the way it looks. Cool. That, that. That's cool. That, you know, it's funny. You uh, all the last things that you said is exactly what I do. You know, I do that same thing with the buses of the toms. My, if you listen to my individual toms, they're not. They don't have. They have sparkly bits like five k, but not like the super high sparkly bits. That comes from the tom bus. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing the, exactly the same kind of thing that you're doing. Um, and it is a big smiley face by the time I'm done too. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you and I are very similar. Like I've listened to your mixes where um, we, I think both of us mix toms louder than uh, other people do. I like, mm-hmm. when you hear Tom Phil, I want that to be like in your face. I want that to be- It's on purpose. Yeah, yeah. it's on purpose. Um, and in mm-hmm. order to achieve that and to get the impact that punches through your mix, you, you it, I think if you listen to our Tom bus by itself it would feel overemphasized but with the combination yes. of all the other stuff it somehow mm-hmm. works all together um to mm-hmm. to uh, to kind of get there um and then the overhead thing i do the same thing like sometimes i'll go all the way up to 400 um but i really try i like the sound of a snare drum far away i like mm-hmm. that 200 mm-hmm. tone that you can get the body of a snare drum that is mm-hmm. not close mic'd. I like right. that. And that's that's why I kind of fell in love with the whole Mojave thing because I felt like I could do that with those microphones. You know, all of a sudden I was like, oh crap, this 200 that's coming out of the snare drum is really awesome in those overheads now. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm the same way. I'll high pass it up sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, drums are... Uh, it, it's a, it's a lot, right? It I mean, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of, um, juggling that has to happen, um, for a drum kit. I know that I personally spend a lot of time, you know, um, going through all these processes that we talked about where the individual channel has compression and then it has EQ and then the bus has some EQ and some compression. And then the overall mm-hmm. bus has parallel compression and, but and all this kind of things, it takes, a little bit of experience and time to finally get to that where you know the little movements will all of a sudden make something come alive in that ecosystem mm-hmm. let's say there's mm-hmm. so many there's so many levels of compression and EQ you can get lost into that and you you have to experiment i think what we're talking about is stuff that we've employed that's our own that we've worked on for 20 years you know Mm -hmm. um and uh hopefully the people that are out there watching this thing right now are getting little bits of that and they can kind of pull that into their toolkit um Mm -hmm. before we kind of wrap this up because we're up to about an hour and so on whatever um is there any other specific thing you want to speak to about drums that you do that's maybe different than what i do or somebody does can you think of anything? No, I don't know for me. I guess um I guess also I guess be mindful. I guess something I would like to say would be be mindful of your level as you're starting with that. If you do you can do the like what what's everyone calling it now? The top down approach, where in other words, you've kind of got your buses fixed. Like I know my like my dry bump uh, excuse me my compressed drive i compressed drum bus <laughs> often ends up at let's say negative seven or something and and i do that like i'll gain match them again i'm real big i on get matching. it yeah you know whatever so you just essentially would start your mix that way uh but i'll do it where sometimes i do that most of the times i'll just start with the dry and then i'll sneak the other one back up in close my eyes usually ends up at the same spot what but what i'm saying is be mindful that you're not clipping or almost clipping with just that dry bus 
because by the time you add that other one in there, even if you're the kind of person that does a fast attack kind of parallel thing, you're going to add level. Yeah. And so just watch, watch your level as you're doing this. If you know, you've got a parallel bus coming in there, no watch, just be mindful. Be think about what's coming up level wise. Right. Um, so that's, that's all about gain structure and you kind of learn that too. Um, mm -hmm. here's an interesting question. As you were saying that I was thinking, um, are you the guy that when you're starting to build like in rehearsals or whatever, I'm not talking about like your every day where you're making adjustments when you're starting to build your drum kit, I start with bus compression out. I start yeah. with, you know, the individual channels and getting them to where I feel like they are as good as they're going to be. And then the bus compression. So like even parallel bus compression is not engaged when I first start. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it gets engaged pretty quickly. Um, yes, but it's, it's, I kind of start that way. So do, how do you, how do you build your drum mix? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I do usually start with everything out. Yeah. Um, as far as the, both the bus processing on the drum buses and the stereo bus, but like yeah. you, me too. See, I've got all these little steps. Like me I'm too. like, okay, but when I get here, that's when I'll bring this in. When I get here, I'll get, and I do know like yourself, it's particularly when we're, you know, we're harping on having familiar tools, familiar sounds and goals with these things. I do know, okay, now's the time to incorporate that bus processing because now is when it becomes a part of the sound. And it will so, improve, uh, you know, that by adding it, it will improve with whatever you have got going on. Uh, but as, I just, as opposed to as a crutch, you know totally. What I mean? That's um, what I'm saying is, is you can get yourself into big yeah. trouble. I think, um, starting mm -hmm. with all that stuff engaged and creating sounds, mixing into it, as opposed mm -hmm. to having the sounds be them as good as they can be. And then using that as a tool to take it over the top. If you're mixing yeah. into it, it's a different kind of philosophy. Like, and that never made sense to me. And I know there's guys that do it. Um, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to point out the, uh, uh, the minutia of how we go, you know what I mean? It's like, we yeah. start, I, w at least when I think, I think about an input, making that input sound the best that it can without any mm -hmm. sort of bus compression, no master bus compression, no, um, you know, uh, drum parallel bus compression, no compression on the, the Tom's bus, you know, all of that stuff is like later on as I'm building in order to help it, it ends up being mm -hmm. there. And, 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 Definitely, if you pop that out, you will notice it. Mm -hmm. It becomes a part of the sound. But I'm just talking mm -hmm. about from the the get go to, to in the and I just want to lead guys down that road of how we build. Um, so um, good. I'm I'm glad you do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't yeah. feel I don't feel like an idiot. Uh, that's yeah. just how I, I've done it. <laughs> That's but great. Um, man, I'd like to come back around and do one of these too. Like, let's just go on one input. Yeah. Cause I'll, 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 I remember again, when I had to take over your session once there was some different frequency, there was something different. There's some different stuff you're doing in the snare. And I'm like, it's so funny after a while. It's like, how could you not have thought to do X, Y, and Z? There's only so many frequencies to choose from, <laughs> but you had gone to some different points. And I was like, God, that's, I just wouldn't have gone there. And it sounded great. So maybe one of these days, I guarantee you we could go for an hour on a, just one input and what, where you, you know, that'd be totally. fun. 
I, I think we should. And, and I think that we should, uh, maybe in the next ones coming up, that's a, a really interesting thing that happened uh, specifically where you started a tour um, and you did the whole rehearsal period. And then I don't remember what you did, like 10 shows or 12 shows or something at the at Not the even top. that many. Okay. So maybe, maybe that, maybe that. And, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I showed up and basically took over your file and you were having success. It wasn't like you were getting fired or anything. You were doing great and it was sounding amazing. You just had a family thing that you had to go to and deal with. So I mm -hmm. stepped into that and it'd be interesting to have a talk about like, like I didn't show up with my ego and be like, okay, I'm going to change everything and make it mine. Um, right. I totally, I ran with your file, like literally babysat your file going next, next, for probably the first month at least that I was there. Right. And then I started to say, okay, everybody's comfortable. I'm going to start maybe, you know, adding a little bit of something that is, uh, that is a piece of me. But literally for mm -hmm. that whole month, I, I was sitting there just babysitting you because why change? That's something that, you know, I watch guys fail all the time. They show up and take over for somebody and try to, you know, <laughs> I don't know why they do right. that. Like, why do they show up and try to mess stuff up? I mean, I know it's happened to you before, you know, someone is taking yeah. over, someone's taken over for you and you, all you hear about, you're getting phone calls. Like, why is this totally different? It's like, well, I don't know. That's, you know. Yeah. Well, you I spoiled the shit out of me on that one. We should do one on that because you know, the way when, by the time I got, now you say, by the time I got to your file, it was totally rewritten differently, specifically for you. And how yeah, but you it was it? it was a year later, though. It was no, but what was cool yeah. was it told it told the same story, right? That's in true. other words, and that's what was so cool. I was like, and so to me, that was the first. I had done a couple other sort of handoffs in my career, but yeah, I was like, oh, it'll always work this way. <laughs> and then I tried it later, and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That would be a great case study. And for me, where it's both like plugins and some hardware and you put it almost aside from your stereo bus, almost wholly in the box. Yet yeah. it sound, it was like the same thing. It was so cool, man. It was so cool to, to find that. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. We should talk about that sometime too. Let's do that. Let's do that on our next video. Let's talk about specifically all that handover stuff and, and individual inputs. I think guys would love to hear some of that. Um, I think that, you know, we've done a bunch of videos where we specifically, I think we've harped on drums a lot, although I, I kind of mm -hmm. would, would come back around and maybe talk about specifically, you know, on on channels what we would do but um i think guys are anxious probably to hear about like what we do with lead vocal and um you know with some bass yeah. guitar and all that kind of stuff so um let's maybe uh in our next video let's uh let's start talking about that but um anyway guys i know this one was long um but uh hopefully you got a bunch out of it um that's us i mean literally <laughs> what's funny about it is I know this video is like an hour and 10 minutes, but Chris and I could go for another three hours just talking about mm. all of this kind of stuff. Um, uh, cause it's so much fun. Um, and boy, I, I learned a lot about what, uh, Chris does and I'll probably check it out the, uh, the next time I can get my hands on a console. Um, Likewise. So, all right, man. Thanks a lot. Um, I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>